Hi, I'm Josh Heald. I'm Hayden Schlossberg. And I'm John Hurwitz. And we are the big three. Yes, the actual real big three. The super three. You hear that, Marty Cove? And you're listening to Cobra Kai Companion. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And I am Tom, but Peter, this is not just another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, is it? No, it's not, Tom. What is it? I'd say this is what used to be termed on television a very special episode. And I'm not talking about the weird guy at the bike shop or anything like that. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking we've got a big, big, big interview. We've got the big three We've got Schlossberg, Heald, and Hurowitz to sit down. They gave us an hour of their time. Thank you so much, gentlemen. And uh, wow, wow. I don't know what else to say, but wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take something that you often say. Uh, thank you doesn't even begin to to explain it. No, you know? no, it does not. Um, uh, so many great nuggets. Uh, Tom, I, I want to throw this in there, but you know, you guys, the listeners here, you guys, you heard the intro and they are saying that they are the big three. I wish that we got to discuss like who heard of them being referred to the big three first. You know what I mean? Because not to mention who's uh, one, two, or three. <laughs> that's a good question as well. Uh, that can even come up in a Q and A. But recently, I believe Jacob Bertrand, who plays Hawk, I believe there was a, a post, whether it was on his uh, regular Instagram account or Instagram story. I believe he also referred to them as the big three. Uh, we know Gianni has also referred to them as the big three. Uh, we have referred to them as the big three early in our review. I don't want to take the credit, but I am curious if somebody has an idea who came up with it first. I'm curious too. I, I, I genuinely am. Yeah, you know this, you guys. I mean, it, it's just better you guys listen to it for yourself. But kind of towards the end, I'm gonna. You know what? I'll save that for the outro of the of this episode. Uh, so, Tom, you got anything else to add before we uh, play this uh, interview? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! That's mine right there. There's a little <laughs> wrestling for for you right there. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this, and then and then we'll continue. But I was very astonished. I don't know if that's the, the the correct term here, but some of the things that they said was evident that they listened to our show. Yes. You know, I think it was uh, Hayden. You know, so a little bit inside baseball. Everything that we had planned to do this interview. Um, I guess kind of put it loosely, kind of backfired. So we had to kind of do it in the way we had preferred not to do it. But um, so the the, quali the quality of the audio wasn't the best. But I, I believe it was Hayden that actually you know said that uh, the, the drums you know by Trey and Cruz was for me, and that's something I said recently on one of the reaction episodes. So uh, I was just like he was listening, you know. So um, that's. They they listen to the show. I think that's great. And another thing I did pick up from this interview, it sounds like they're probably perusing the interwebs a little bit more frequently than we think. Yes. Yes. So mind your P's and Q's, folks. You never know who's watching. Yeah. So <laughs> we had an amazing time talking to the guys who were super fans of a show. And now we are the super fans of their show. This is our conversation. Okay, we are all on speaker here. Can you hear us? I I can I can hear. Yes, absolutely. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Try, trying to get out of the uh, interview, huh? <laughs> I've been trying desperately to be out of this interview. No, I'm uh, I'm the guy who gets most frustrated by things like technical difficulties. So this was really fun. This last oh, five minutes, I, I enjoyed it. It's, I enjoyed Hayden it. enjoyed it. I did not, <laughs> but it's about to turn around, and it's going to be fantastic. Yes. It will yes. be. It will be. Okay, yes. so we know that we have uh, less than an hour with you guys, so we'll jump into it. Uh, you know, I think I can speak for Tom, but thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I know all of you have 
probably had not not just a busy day, but weeks, you know, uh, months after wrapping here, season two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Doesn't begin to describe it. Well, listen, it's uh, it's fun for us to hear fans of the show like come together as a community and you know start these podcasts. Um, you know, for us, you know, we've all made movies before, and we, you know, you go online and you see what the response is. Um, and it's been fun, Cobra Kai, to be you know, whether it's the, the book group or different podcasts. And, you know, your podcast is is particularly fun because you guys interviewed so many of the, you know, the talent of our show. And so it's interesting, like you get to know these people on set a little bit, but then, you know, we hear this in-depth interview with, you know, Vas Sanchez and it's just, uh, it's fun to, you know, to learn more about, you know, the show ourselves. So uh, it's fun to finally uh, talk to you guys. Well, um, this wasn't one of my questions, but, you know, you brought it up, uh, the Vos Sanchez, you know, he returned on a special episode where he shared a story about somebody saying, hey, you know, we heard your interview. Do you guys remember that night? Like, who was around when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think each of us has spoken to uh, Vos and, uh, you know, a number of cast members and mentioned, hey, you know, we heard your interview on there. And we know, you know, some other people on set uh, as well, I think, have have listened you know it's it's fun one of the things that's fun about making the show right now especially going into you know in our second season was the entire crew was basically decked out in cobra kai gear every day like that's these awesome. are the people who worked on the sh yeah it's it's like you're like part of the team and uh you know everyone's sort of you know wearing the team's colors as we're all kind of you know trying to get the job done every day so you know uh you know we have a real good uh group over there and uh you know you get the sense that a lot of the people that are working on the show are fans and probably seeking out um you know uh, podcasts like yours and groups like yours and uh it's a lot of fun tom you want to kick it off with uh one of your questions absolutely uh well i i grew up in michigan i don't know if you've heard that on the show 20 30 times yet but uh i also grew up as a major major film geek and so the stories of sam raimi Rob Taper and Bruce Campbell are kind of legendary in my circle of friends about how they literally just kind of pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and they didn't really have that much formal training. They just went out and made their own movie. So I'm always fascinated to hear about how filmmakers got their start. So how did you guys uh, kind of get together? How did you become a partnership? What kind of uh, stories do, would you like to talk about with uh, your beginnings and what kind of advice would you want to give out to uh, aspiring filmmakers? Um, well, you know, Hayden and I, we were friends from high school and we bonded over comedy and movies and TV and all of that. And we talked about, you know, maybe we should make a movie one day. And, you know, we always were talking about writing screenplays in high school and we just never really got around to it because we were trying to focus on getting into colleges. And once we were in college, you know, midway through, we're realizing, uh oh, we're like getting closer and closer to the real world and we're going to have these, you know, demanding jobs. And, uh, so we made it, we, you know, made, made the choice one summer to, you know, move in together and, uh, have jobs during the day and start writing at night. And our goal was to sell a screenplay before we graduated college. And it through, you know, a chain of events that ended up working out, you know, you, you're constantly trying to meet anybody who you can talk to in college who like, knows anything about film or has any connection to the film business. And so, you know, met a couple of people who had read a bunch of screenplays before, got a little bit of advice from them. And back then it was, you know, this was 1999. It was the early days of IMDb. And we're like, okay, well, at the time we had written an R-rated comedy. Our goal was to bring back the R-rated youth comedy at that time. And, you know, uh, we're like, okay, well, if we could get the script in the, the hands of anybody, it would be, you know, certain directors and producers like the Farrelly brothers. And then, American Pie came out as we were writing it and we're like, okay, these directors or producers probably won't have the time to speak with us, but who do they know? So we looked up and saw there was a common assistant director on a bunch of our favorite movies called the Directors Guild. It was just given his phone number. His name was JB Rogers, uh, called him up, convinced him to read our screenplay and he liked it, passed it around. And before we knew it, we had some agents and managers calling us and we did end up succeeding in selling that first screenplay uh, right before graduations. So it happened that way. It usually doesn't. But, you know, we our thought at the time was let's write something because this was before everybody had cameras on their phones. It was a lot harder to make a movie 
So we figured, okay, we could write something. Anyone can read this. And uh, luckily, it worked out. So we moved out to L.A. and, and started our careers. Meanwhile, Josh was uh, separate. Yeah, there. I mean, in college, I was a writer slash journalist um, and kind of wrestling with what to do with that in terms of a career. My dad had been a journalist and had uh, made the switch to become um, you know, a financial businessman. And I got um, journalists didn't get paid a lot of money, and that was scary coming out of college. So uh, I ended up working as a management consultant for a year. But uh, while I was doing that, uh, I was reading a book called How to Write a Television Sitcom. And uh, I read a few other books on screenwriting, and I was trying to figure out how to do this thing that I, you know, I, I knew I really liked watching TV and movies. So I was trying to figure out what it meant to, to write one of those things. And uh, after about nine months uh, working in San Francisco as a management consultant, I decided to move down to Los Angeles and pursue this. But, you know, I had more of a traditional path. I, uh, was, I was fortunate enough to get a job reading scripts and doing coverage for a few studio screenplays. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, and I just, by virtue of reading so many screenplays, became... A better writer because you know just you're just learning things inherently baked into uh, scripts about structure and storytelling and narrative and the hero's journey and all that stuff. And during that period of time, I was just amassing you know screenplay samples and television samples, and uh, you know eventually was fortunate enough to get one of those to hit, and you know you'd make the most of that one, and you know another and another, and you know it, it's it's never it's never one thing. It's usually a combination of uh, sweat equity, hard work, and luck. So having known each other um, since high school, and uh, Josh, I believe you came a little bit later, uh, how did you guys decide on what projects you would collaborate with? Is it, Josh, because you said that you went on this uh, different path to kind of do different things? It's funny. The The first time we collaborated was uh, the first two screenplays I sold. John and Hayden had made uh, Harold and Kumar. I think they just made it. Um, and it either just come out or it was about to come out. And, uh, I had a pitch for a, uh, a feature, uh, that they were able to attach themselves with their first producing, uh, deal. And we did two in a row like that, where they were kind of like, you know, I was like the new mobster and they were the old mobster saying like, uh, he's, he's, you know, I, I vouch for this guy. And, um, and neither one of those movies happened, but they were both an attempt to do something together. And then there's been a couple of other times, you know, during our careers where we almost kind of decided to like put other things aside and do something together. But, you know, we had just very busy, uh, you know, fortunate enough to have very busy uh, screenwriting careers um, that it never seemed our availability with each other never seemed to line up. And with this one, we were able to uh, kind of clear the deck and decided to put things aside in pursuit of this. Now, one of the things that really kind of uh, caught me off guard on Cobra Kai was Let's face it, the Karate Kid franchise wasn't really known for its humor, but there's all kinds of humor in this show, and it works amazingly well. What made you guys decide to go that direction while writing? And have you received, well, at first, did you receive any pushback from like William Zapka or Ralph Macchio over the humor? No, um, you know, really. The the comedy on the show is an extension of the story that we're telling and the characters that we're telling. The fact is the characters are now um and so we're just we're picking up, it's a continuation, but now you have characters who are in their fifties and so grudges and rivalries that they have, you know, wait when you're in high school, like everything about you know, that bully is just the world. But then when you're, you know, you're in your 40s or 50s, it's suddenly you're like, okay, this is a psychopath that I'm dealing with here. And, and there's, there's a, there's an added comedy, I think, to the fact that, you know, this rivalry has lasted so long. And yet, you know, when you're in it, you take it seriously. And so I think, you know, on the one hand, it's an extension of ourselves. You know, we come from a world of comedy, so we have those instincts. But we, as much as possible, really tried to just write the way that we would write a Harold and Kumar movie, where we're constantly trying to think about, like, okay, how can we make a, an audience roar with laughter here? It's really just, it, you're, you're starting from character, and where is the character today? And we always thought that it could be, like, kind of dark comedy, where you're rooted 
thing for this guy who used to be the worst guy in the world. And there's something funny about that to us in a meta um, It was also just sort of coming in through the, the Cobra Kai lens. You know, even when you, as time went on and people and, you know, Karate Kid sort of started to age, I people have a real kind of comedic appreciation of the, the Cobra Kai characters that they were, you know, just the concept of a teenage karate gang terrorizing a high school sounds kind of hilarious later when, when maybe at the time you're just watching the movie for the first time and you're feeling that, that bully as time goes on. And also as William Zabka starts playing a bully in a bunch of other movies, I think there was just an element of comedy sort of surrounding well, like, it. Like get him a body bag. That line, you know, was a, a line that I think got, you know, sort of immortalized later on after the, sh the movie had existed for a while and people could look back on it with, with a sense of humor. Um, well, that's the thing also. I mean, like the, there are things about Karate Kid that started to feel funny to people who grew up in the movie after a long time. When you look at it through a certain lens and you say, wow, the fact that this karate gang takes their karate gang so seriously, there's something, there's, that's dark comedy in there. And the fact that we were, that we had the track record, we had comedy features, but that we were treating the material so earnestly also gave us the, the flexibility and freedom to be able to have certain types of comedy bleed through here because we weren't treating this like a joke. I mean, for, for a long full karate kid through the years has started to take on a bit of a parodied uh, vibe. You know, people would use the best around and play it to a, you know, kind of a joke montage. Uh, things like that, you know, where the crane kick had become like, you know, so like far, so far from where it had started that like to get Ralph to even consider doing that feels like you're poking fun at the situation. But the fact that we were coming in so earnestly allows you to take those detours uh, with comedy sometimes. Um, in the writing process and coming up with ideas for the show, uh, Credit Kid itself, uh, you know, the, the, the trilogy or the uh, at least the Daniel saga what kind of decisions went into saying, okay, that's a character that we'll create or, you know, obviously you guys had restraints on what characters not to bring back. You know, Counselor Blatt is a younger sister of, you know, Susan. How did you guys come up with ideas for characters like that? It starts with us just sort of telling the present day story that we want to tell. And everything sort of bleeds from there. Uh, you know, somebody like a Counselor Blatt was just sort of, okay, we knew that we wanted to have a uh you know a guidance counselor character and we're like oh well it would be fun if we uh you know gave that a connection to the past that's just like a slight little nod here or there um you know when thinking about all of the characters from the original movies it's always about okay do they fit within the uh the narrative that we're telling today and is it meaningful for them to be there crease uh, is a prime example that you know we knew from the beginning that we wanted John Kreese to show up at the very end of season one. So, you know, we had our meeting with Marty Cove and had to explain that to him. And, you know, he's told the story many times that he was just, you know, can I come in sooner? And, and <laughs> you know, our our reaction has always been, you know, we're, we, we love Karate Kid. We love these movies. And we want to tell, you know, a long form story that'll go on for several seasons. And, you know, if we just, if we front loaded everything in the first season where every character is just sort of showing up uh, willy nilly, um, then uh, there would there would be no legs and the story would be far less interesting. Now, one of the things that always impresses me about the three of you individually is your level of involvement in the fan community, uh, especially these days with social media where you have the quote unquote toxic fandom. I, I just got to give you guys all the kudos in the world for really being visible and approachable. Uh, what is it about the fan community that kind of draws you to it? And what are some of the best experiences that you've had with it, whether it's online or at conventions or just random people on the street? Well, look, it doesn't hurt that people like the show. Um, you know, I think if there was a large group of fans that were against this and felt like oh, they've destroyed something of my childhood, we would be less available. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, it's what's really nice is for us to, you know, to see things and stories of people enjoying this show with the same type of, you know, real earnest enjoyment that we felt the first time we watched Karate Kid. You know, there are there are younger 
uh, audience members experiencing these characters for the first time through this story and then going to find Karate Kid after that or people who have been able to show their kids, you know, Karate Kid and now they're able to watch this show together and have that kind of shared experience of uh, watching this for the first time. Um, that stuff in particular to me is uh, is really great. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I, I feel like a lot of this dates back to sort of when we were in college and, you know, Kevin Smith was really available. Like we're we're guys from New Jersey and we were fans of like Kevin Smith's early movies. And he he had his own kind of, you know, message boards that he would interact with fans with regularly. And uh, it was sort of like that was something that we really appreciated when we were young. And, you know, uh, you and one thing that I think we still appreciate today just about Twitter and and, uh, you know, some of the social media platforms is that you get to see little glimpses into uh, into, you know, the the work process of people that we're fans of. So, you know, we don't mind uh, doing it on our end because, you know, we, we see that people enjoy it. And and, you know, it, and we've had some really amazing experiences, you know, people writing you messages about what the show means to them um and some of them are you know uh just you know feel good because they just love the show and others are it's actually having a meaningful impact in their everyday life and, and, it, and it's also just fun seeing like some super fans um you know having fun with this world that we created and you know some of the characters that are you know the more supporting characters on the show you know, it's fun when Rick Grossman, you know, puts together something that's like, you know, got, uh, you know, Louis LaRusso in, in a My Cousin Vinny, you know, movie poster. Like, it's like <laughs> that type of like creativity. Well, that's that's that that's we, a really cool thing. Yeah. Just the fan art and the fan like the creative fans who are, you know, creating themselves utilizing the show is just super well, there's, cool. and, and there's like we love this world that we're creating it's so a character like lynn um you know played by susan gallagher you know we you know she's in a few episodes the first season um but you know it's fun to see like fans you know zeroing in on her and and a couple of her lines um in ways that we did like in dur during the editing process and so um, it's just, you know, big shout out to all the Cobra Kai fans who, you know, uh, post on the Facebook groups. It's, it's really like, it's so much fun seeing all that like creativity. Uh, John, there was a Q and A that you did some time ago. Uh, I wish I was able to pull up the tweet to kind of get the wording exactly right. You know, what I said to you and, and what you replied, but it was in reference to the first episode, Cobra Kai, Johnny is in the parking lot from a different vantage point where he is watching himself, his younger self, being choked out by Crease. And you mentioned something about that being like a special night for you of all the things that you have been a part of in terms of the production. Can you guys talk about like writing that scene and, and what it meant to you guys? Yeah, the, I, I, you know, I'll start and Hayden will take it from there. But like, yeah, it was it was a really cool night to be able to go back into the Karate Kid movie, basically, and look at it from another angle i know we're uh, well, we talk, we're i was going to say we're all huge fans of the back to the future movies as we know you are back to the future 2 is something that we really connect to and i think that what was so amazing about that movie was they were replaying things in the first movie but from different angles and i think that was something that we got to do that day well it was fun to like look at it and at, on the page you know i remember when we wrote that and it was like this is going to be awesome if we can pull this off in the right way and it was a conversation with our director of photography in terms of how we were going to do that. Where were we going to play some of, you know, his memory, like in in the ether? Was it, we're going to use kind of like smoke to do that? Or um, could it be possible to actually move the camera behind what happened? And And we were able to kind of settle on that idea that he was remembering it kind of how we remember it in the movie but also have the camera reverse angle looking at Johnny watching this. And that was, you know, that was, that was our first week of production. Uh, it was a Friday night, really, really mm -hmm. late yep. after midnight. And we're in a parking lot with a fake crease, you know, choking a fake Johnny. With and, a fake Tommy. Yeah. Like you know, with a fake Tommy me. trying to stop it. And, and it was like, you know, we know it was awesome to us. And, and we, we had all the faith that it was going to come together, you know, in the moment. And, and once, once it all does, once you use, 
some of that footage um, sparingly and carefully and you put the right music with it um, and you, you know, like, you know, Hayden especially was, you know, get, get his hand clenching the, the bottle, um, all those little micro movements. Um, it made it made it such a, you know, a strangely uh, dramatic scene. That was a heavy scene right after, you know, a, a, the that that comes moments after the Iron Eagle scene and the like to me, my my favorite moment of the first season. I mean, it's not my favorite. You moment, mean of the, of the shoot of, of just the yeah. shoot was was, you know, was Billy Zapka watching the Iron Eagle um, scene like for us, that was. You know, we're huge fans of Back to the Future, Iron Eagle, all these movies. And we're really like, it's so fun for us to take something as like kind of fluff and silly as Iron Eagle and make this, you know, Speak a call yourself, to action. That's a fantastic uh, movie. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like to make this a, an existential, you know, a moment of existential crisis for our character as he's watching Chappie quote unquote die and then at the end of the season in episode eight you see Chappie's alive during a period of time where Johnny's life is good it's like there's those are the things that we the comedy those are the high fives between us on set that you know that we were able to pull off but I I remember though that day because this was a this was was it the first day or was the first week first week it was was the the third day it was a Wednesday Thursday Friday that week Uh, so yeah I just remember we were we were shooting the scene with Billy watching the Iron Eagle that was day one exactly it was the end of day one yeah and I remember we were there and Jen Salata, who's one of our guest directors, she was on set because she was in prep then. And we we're all just watching as Billy is basically getting emotional while watching Iron Eagle. And well, we were playing Iron Eagle. Like he was watching a TV that didn't work. So we were playing uh, yeah. Iron Eagle from YouTube through a microphone into the set. So I threw it like a wireless speaker. So I had Iron Eagle queued up on my phone and a microphone next to it that was going to a wireless speaker. And we're just literally having a camera on Billy as he's listening to Lou Gossett. And we all were looking at each other being like, this show's going to work. <laughs> this show's really going to work. Because we're all like, he is so amazing. And just the emotion that he was feeling there. Uh, and uh, everyone on set was just loving that when that was happening. Now, between Hot Tub Time Machine and Cobra Kai, I, I think it might be fair to say that the 1980s have had a major influence on your gentleman's work. What is it about that period in time that kind of draws you into it and, and, and is so appealing for you as uh, filmmakers? That's that's when we came of you know of age, I guess. You know, we were all uh, little kids going to the movies for the first time in the eighties, seeing these movies. You know, we saw Karate Kid on the big screen, we saw Back to the Future on the big screen, um, and that kind of like nineteen eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven stretch. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Back to School. Uh, all these movies were kind of, and all the police academies. Yeah, I was going to say, all the police academies, you know, they, they that were, was like a big event. We, E.T., I mean, like, you know, if you go back, you know, a couple of years before that, all the Indiana Joneses, they were, that was our, you know, there were there was no internet. Um, there was playing outside, and then there was, you know, and, watching and whatever's on regular TV, which was not, you know, the, the quality that you get now. Disney wasn't this, like, machine that it is today that, like, churns out all this, like, mm-hmm. great family entertainment. So you had these movies like Goonies, Gremlins, Karate Kid, which were, like, movies for kids, but, like, with an adult kind of well, they flair didn't to treat, it. They didn't treat the kids like, you know, like little kids. They were very mature themes in them that, you know, they dealt with death, they dealt with romance, they, they had bullying. Yeah, and they had, you know, real fights and kids bleeding, and, and it wasn't shying away from, from stuff that now is, you know, a little more sanitized. That's not, you know, a reason why we, you know, write those. I think we, everyone, I think, kind of looks back on that time in their lives as, like, you know, that's movies I, I remember like for this you know the second one guantanamo bay we made sure like it took place the the beginning was like right at the end of you know uh how how white castle ended because we loved just like how those 80 sequels like would take place well karate kid i mean karate kid 2 takes place in the yeah. you know in the shower like moments later daniels <laughs> <laughs> and so that maybe uh give you a little hint as to you know maybe how the second season starts ah. Tom, we know that you don't like uh, spoilers. So. No, <laughs> no, I do not. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, I won't say anything. <laughs> well, it takes place where it leaves off. I mean, that's no, no, that's it's, it doesn't tell us that much. Don't ruin Tom's death. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, this question is kind of inspired by the the fun tidbit of learning that Gianni DiCenzo's character of Dimitri was originally supposed to be written 
um, as an uh, Indian kid by the name of Tanzit. When you guys yes. are writing uh, writing characters, coming up with characters, Brett Ernst mentioned that you guys had him in mind. I, I don't know if that's correct or anything, but can you guys talk about like writing characters with an actor in mind versus writing a character that you'll have to end up casting? Well, you know, more often than not, we're just writing the story. So we're just creating characters and then, uh, you know, figuring it out from there. You know, the example you brought up with Tanzit, uh, which became uh, Dimitri, was, you know, we we all came from a very, you know, diverse, uh, you know, experience in our lives. You know, our 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 high schools uh, were really diverse in our lives today, uh, have, you know, friends from all over the place and from different backgrounds. And so in our writing, we like to reflect that kind of world. So, you know, when we were writing that character, you know, we were like, we really love to have an Indian character here. And, you know, we were auditioning and auditioning and didn't find somebody who is quite matching the voice that we were looking for. So we opened up the casting there. And that's where uh, Gianni came in and just sort of nailed it immediately. You know, I would use, you know, Ralph and Billy, I think, are better examples as, you know, people who like were writing specifically for those characters. Well, we have a character in season two that we we wrote, we conceived of this character and wrote this character with an actor in mind. And we pursued that actor and, uh, and offered the role to that actor. And, uh, That's right. and, and that was never considered for somebody else. I mean, if, right. he, if he had yeah. passed, then... Um, then we would have thought about, okay, do we change certain things? Because we had written it with such a distinct voice that we felt was perfect for the individual that was yeah. cast for it. We could spoil who that is. Yeah, that's for Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, yeah, Paul Walter Hauser is just an actor who we all loved when, you know, you, we saw I, Tanya, we're like, this guy has to be on our show. This guy is so good. And there was a character that we had talked about having in our world in season one that we that didn't kind of fit in. And he kind of... When we saw I, Tanya, we're like, oh, like he would be the perfect type of guy. But, you know, guys like Ralph and Billy, you know, we saw the the childhood version of them and we just sort of projected where we thought they would be kind of present day. And, you know, we're uh, we're just big fans of those guys. And so we're trying to write a voice that feels authentic to what you knew in the past, but would work for, uh, you know, where we saw them today. Now, one of the things that I... Uh... I, I was really, I, I kind of felt like you guys were almost walking a tightrope with on the first season was the characterization of Johnny. I, I, I've said time and time again, reminds me of a 21st century Archie Bunker, where he's completely clueless that the world has moved on. Obviously, he's he's somebody that is kind of, I, I, I'm assuming, being written to be laughed at with his worldviews, but was there any, any kind of hesitation or nervousness that the audience might not have gotten the joke? Um, I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, it, it, it's fish out of water. It, it, it is similar to like an Austin Powers-y kind of thing. You know, you know, there's the kind of conceit on our show that you know, he's he hasn't really been kept with the times, you know. So, you know, we, we like to have fun putting him in you know, an environment that's so different. And and we live in a time now where society changes like really fast. Like, you know, a term that is like politically correct one year can suddenly be out of fashion. And this is a guy who doesn't doesn't even know what political correctness is. So, you know, we we came from that world of comedy where, you know, you would push the envelope anyway with the Harold and Kumar movies. Um and we we just saw it as something where you'll understand where he's coming from, that he's not, you know, this is a guy who grew up with like, you know, the ultimate bully teacher in the 1980s and hasn't, you know, fully, you know, realized or learned like, you know, the error of his ways. And we um, try to modulate it. You know, I remember uh, John and I, <clears throat> excuse me, John and I, when we were in college, heard uh, Conan O'Brien talk about writing for The Simpsons. And, you know, those writers hit certain moments with Homer where they would have to question, like, have we gone too far? Like, and there was one moment where I forget what it was, but like mm -hmm. he forgot to blink his eyes or something. And they were like, okay, now he's just so stupid that like we've made him like, like there's something mentally maybe off with him now. And it's the same with Johnny. We have to kind of decide like, what does he know um, technologically? What, what terms has he heard but misuses? Um, what, you know, what is he completely unaware of? Um, and then you're able to occasionally throw, you know, one or two things in there like the hollow bones that feels like he was 
told that maybe at one point yeah. and never, never fact checked yeah. it. But I think your 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 Archie Bunker uh, comparison is something that we're very aware of ourselves. You know, in Hollywood, uh, people have been looking for the way to 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 you know find that Archie Bunker on television again, and we kind of stumbled onto it with this because you know we were just you know trying to do a uh, you know a Karate Kid continuation, and the character that we were writing happened to kind of turn out to be a, a modern day Archie Bunker. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we've never been shy about, uh, uh, you know, playing with that kind of comedy because it's, and it's always coming from a good place in our minds and, 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 and we're, and we're trying to expose, you know, like there, the, our hope is that the audience is as savvy as you want them to be. And we know our intentions. Well, I mean, are. yeah, I mean, you're, you're, he's, you know, at times you're laughing at him, but at the same time, you know, I think there's, there's a lesson on both sides, you know, there's, you know, he needs to kind of, you know, get with the times, but I also think, you know, for his students, some of them need to have a little bit more of a thick skin and be, you know, less sensitive to certain things and tougher. And so I think, you know, there's a generation of people who will like look at, you know, uh, Johnny as a character and be like, you know, yeah, okay, finally, here's like, you know, a teacher who's able to like just whip these kids, these spoiled millennial Gen Z brats into shape. Um, but then, you know, you have the the other side that's just like, you know, laughing at how, yeah, he doesn't know anything. Um, I was wondering, I, I, I think listening back on some of our reviews of, of, you know, each episode, I think it wasn't until episode seven, All Valley, is when I made a comment about that's when I started seeing kind of, uh, you know, remade shots and uh, remade, you know, scenes and, and things of that nature. How do you guys find the balance or even the restraint to, you know, we're not going to include something until later on in in the show um are you talking about like kind of more of with that episode with like the golf and stuff yes yes yeah i mean that was just like the perfect it just felt like okay there's going to be this first date um you know i remember in the room we talked about golf and stuff and then you know when we got to post-production experimented with that music and man it just really worked for us and we were able to comp in that shot coming off the um the golf and stuff sign down to where we actually shot that, which was not golf and stuff, uh, spoiler alert. And, uh, and it just felt, it was one of those things that also the music didn't feel cheesy. It felt like we were seeing Daniel's daughter kind of relive some, some youthful fun that, that he went through once also, and didn't feel like we were trying so hard to really hit the audience over the head with it. Um, you know, we go through this a lot in the writing process and again in the production and again in post-production in terms of just keeping an eye on how often we are going for a dialogue, um, you know, remembrance or a flashback that uses original footage or something that feels like uh, the same types of, you know, blocking or staging. But it's it's a balance and we never let that lead the storytelling. At the end, at the end of the day, you're watching the material and either it's working or it's not. And I think that's that's the... The final barometer because it'll make it past each step from the writing to the shooting and then when you're there in post you may watch a scene and you're like ah, it's a little much here and then you just trim it out now i'm really glad that you guys mentioned my absolute disdain for spoilers because one of the things that being a fan and kind of keeping tabs on this show that really impresses me is how tight-lipped Everything is. I mean, I have no idea what's going on with this show three weeks from release where I practically know beat by beat what's going to happen with almost every movie that's coming out, every television show that's going to come out. How do you guys maintain that kind of control over this, especially with social media and cell phones these days where everything gets out whether people want it to or not? How how do you guys do that? Well, I think some of it has to do with, you know, the everyone who works on the show all the actors, all the, uh, the the crew, I think they recognize the kind of fan base that we have on the show. And, you know, they want everyone to experience the fun as much as we want them to experience the fun. Um, I will say, and I don't know when this is airing. There is I think go- uh, on Thursday. Uh, uh, but when is this airing? Oh, this? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know when this interview is airing. But, you know, we have a, uh, the next trailer is going to be coming out very soon. And I was going to, post something in the groups and, and specifically uh, 
Yeah, you know, shout you out, Tom. Because our, our big trailer this year has probably more spoilery things in it than uh, than we might prefer. But oh no, you know we, we're a major voice in what's out there, and particularly what's not out there. You know, mm. we are we are basically our own uh, police in terms of saying we love going into whether it's a movie or or a television show or anything content with without knowing all right i'm about to go see a bigger version of uh of what's already been spoon fed to me through the marketing uh, that being said there were a few things outside of our control with the trailer in terms of the timeline that we were on and uh and some you know more vocal yeah, voices well, above you us. Know, the, at the at the end of the day there's so much content this season so many fun twists and turns so much that is not spoiled in this trailer that you know I think that anyone who watches the trailer will still very much enjoy the show and not be completely. Uh, it was not going to ruin it, the it, season. It doesn't ruin the season. That said, we're we're very close to it, and we know that there's you know some things in this trailer that Tom is going to be really unhappy that he knows. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Don't watch the trailer. <laughs> just, just I think I might have to skip that one, Peter. Yeah, just just me and Brianna. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we feel bad about it. Well, you, I mean, the truth is, like the truth is really everything is out of context so you'll see a bunch of things that suddenly you'll be like whoa why is wait, these people are fighting or these people are together or something like that and you don't know why or how and you know the journey of the season will not be spoiled in terms of how yeah. we get from a to z but there will be but my, you'll, my you'll learn about you'll learn about p and q and, and yes S. yeah <laughs> um but but I think that, you know, if you're just somebody who's just dying for anything and just wants to watch some content, you'll, you can watch this. It's going to be it's going to be really good. It's, you're going to watch really it. Good. You're going to watch it a bunch of times and, and it's not going to affect the ultimate you know, you know viewing experience. But if you're a purist. You know, you're you're stay you're away, warned. stay away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't watch it personally. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. You know what? That's that's all I need to hear, gentlemen. <laughs> I've been listening to it like I li- like, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to it like constantly because I love the the sound of it and the music. Yeah, it's everything. actually a very well put together trailer. We don't, you know, we don't mean to uh, to demean the trailer too much. It's we just, you know, if we had our ways, there would be literally no marketing materials out there at all. There would just be a date and a ticking clock, <laughs> and everybody would be told. To would be, up I think there'd be somewhere in between. I think that's where Josh lands on it. <laughs> I think we we think that there should be some marketing, in, but in, like in, in you YouTube, know, you know, what what they would say is, I mean, there's a lot of people that they're trying to attract yeah. the show still, and and so you know, you you need you can't just sell a mystery. You know, this is like you know, Game of Thrones took multiple seasons to get where where it was at. So it's like you're still selling you know, the big spectacle stuff, you know? And so we're, we're still in that stage of attracting a big audience. A that's big true. ticking clock and a date. That's all. That's all it. right. That's next year. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have something planned uh, at, at the end of this. And so I, I actually have one more question so we can get into that. So Tom, if, if you have any that uh, you, you want to get ready to ask. Yes. Uh, I, I, I have one last question that I, let, I, I, let me, let me I get have this to... one. Cause you, okay, you want to okay. end with that one. Um, yes. My question is, I'm going to kind of add two in one because they're kind of similar. Uh, obviously, currently, there's no physical copy that we can purchase, Blu-ray, DVD. Um, the only things we find out is kind of what you guys put out there. Is there any deleted scenes that you guys particularly love that you know you had to cut for whatever reasons? And also, um, the second question was, one of the scenes or visuals of season one that gave me the chills. So many things gave me the chills, but one in particular was the the, the moment in episode three, Esqueleto, when Sholo walks through the smoke in that costume. Mm-hmm. Gave me chills because that costume is so iconic. Uh, so number one question was any deleted scenes that you wish you could have kept, and also what one scene gave you guys the chills. Uh, I would say season one. Um, I don't think we have any meaningful uh, deleted scenes. No, we we have we have one. Like I, w- I would say that there are no deleted scenes that we wish we could have kept. I think that the things that are gone are gone for a reason. Just the overall flow of the show. But we we actually uh, in post this year gathered some of our deleted scenes from both seasons as well as some bloopers and things like that. We know that these are things that uh, the audience has been sort of clamoring for. Uh, so we've put together some stuff 
that hopefully will eventually be out there. Uh, and uh, so I think rather than talk about the scenes, I think people will just get to see them at a certain point. Okay. Um, and then uh, what was the question about the... Uh, what gave you goosebumps? The, about the uh, the skeleton. Oh, just, said, what, did that, that's what gave that me gave chills. Oh, that gave us chills? Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, the, the, you know, end of episode five or the stuff with Miyagi, uh, Miyagi uh, Miyagi's grave is a huge. Thing yeah, for I us. mean, I think I think go, I mean, being with uh, Ralph, you know, and, and in preparation of shooting the scene at Miyagi's grave, I think is one of those things where it's like, OK, like this is just, uh, you know, we it, it's a fun you know, gig to do this show. But then like you're actually getting into like super serious ground that. You know, it's as serious as what any actor can go through. I mean, this is a human being who uh, Ralph remembers and was a huge part of his life. And this that human being is connected to this character. And, and it's 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 impossible not to, you know, separate the two. And so it's just you know, you're part of this this moment for a human being beyond just, you know, for, as a fan and, and, and for the franchise. Yeah. I mean, that episode had a lot of, you know, between the, the graveside conversation, uh, Ralph doing the kata, um, you know, we had circular track set up circular dolly track and it was, you know, there's no, there's no Bill Conti music playing in there. It's literally silent as a camera, you know, on a, on a dolly track is going around and around and Ralph is doing kata and he's in the gi and he's wearing the headphones, uh, the headphones, the, the headband, and, you know, he's actually tearing up, you know, as he opens this and, and is accessing his own memories of Pat. Um, you know, it's hard not to uh, to feel, you know, all the goosebumps come and at moments like that. Johnny giving Miguel the ghee. I mean, like there's just there's these big kind of moments that we were reaching into, you know, the imagery and the iconography of Karate Kid um, and bringing it into this show that felt very special. Train, train crews doing the drum roll <laughs> at the door, you know, um, all different types of things. That's for you, Peter. Um, you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a coincidence. I just, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but that's what I love. I love. Who knows? Maybe it was meant to be. Maybe the movie gods just willed that. Um, cool. Any, uh, you said there was yes i have i have one last serious question and i'm hoping that you guys will hear me out on this how hard would i have to work at to talk you into including two characters in season three named peter and tom and i don't care if they're just like you know goons that get dispatched right away or if they're like first round fodder in a a tournament i just want to see two guys named peter and tom get crane kicked to the face in season three I have fifty dollars cash, gentlemen. I will wire that out to you if need be. You gotta flush your know. bits. I don't know about that. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the uh, the crane kick to the face, um, and I don't know uh, where we're going. It's something that we'll keep in consideration uh, going forward. Uh, you know, if, all right, fifty five dollars. Last it, offer. How much is it? Fifty five now. All right. Oh, okay. Well, you know I, what? Three ways. That's like uh, that's like eighteen bucks. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, maybe I don't know. We we got to think about this, but uh, <laughs> the, they have to be the right characters. As people always ask us, like um, if we're going to put ourselves on the show, like Jacob Bertrand, who plays Hawk, always is like, "Come on, you guys got to go on be on on camera." And we're like, we want to find like the right moment. If we're going to show up on the show, it has to be the right moment. Stay tuned. I actually um, told Tom that technically he's already in the show. Tom Cole, you know. Oh, Tom, yeah, Cole, Tom yeah. Cole, yes, yes. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> well, <laughs> I he's can't the big bubble tea because of that guy. Well, he, he's <laughs> the, he's the real protagonist of the series. Yeah. So See? Um, there you go. That, that's that you'll find out in the long game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have this uh, special game. Um, you know, I want to give a shout out to our favorite person in the world, Brianna, super fan of. The, you know, the Credit Kid universe. She gave us a list of questions to try to stump the creators. Tom, are you able to pull up that email real quick? I am. Okay, so I'm going to read the first three questions of... Uh, we, so we have questions from 1, 2, 3, and Cobra Kai. So, Tom, I'll read the first three questions. If you could just tally, Uh-oh. you know, the first answers. I'm nervous. So, so there's <laughs> three like of that. you. <laughs> Any three of you can, can shout out an answer. So, Tom, you just mark whether or not they get it right. So... One person. Nobody answer unless you unless you know her. <laughs> yes. All right. So here we go. We're gonna start with Karate Kid One. Number one. Which Cobra loses his motorcycle helmet off the back of his bike when they arrive at the beach? Oh, that I knew that. Uh, that's Dutch. 
Two, where did Mr. Miyagi meet his wife? Hmm. Where did they meet? Applebee's? I only know... It was uh, a dance. I want to say there was a dance. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not Tommy Village. Um, it was in the story. All right, it's... number three. Okay. <laughs> what apartment number did Freddie Fernandez live in in the South Seas? Oh, geez, that's oh, a crap one. Uh, we, we actually, like... When we, it's funny when we were shooting there. We at, we well, knew. Yeah, well, Daniel's apartment is referenced as two B, but in reality, it's twenty. Um, so you're the new people in two B. Uh, is it? Was he right downstairs, or was he uh, next door, downstairs? I'm gonna say one one B. Yeah, sure. Okay, Credit Kid two number one. Break, we're gonna get all these wrong. <laughs> gonna wrong. You're gonna have to cut it. How old was Daniel when he graduated from high school? In real life, oh, how old was Daniel when he graduated from high school? Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't he, wouldn't he be 18? 18? But was he 17? I'm trying to think. It was his birthday. Let's think about... Uh, what, he turned 18. He, oh, he turned... Oh, no, he, oh, no, he turned... He got his license. Did he turn 16? Oh, God. Oh, did he turn 16? Right. Okay, so he turned 16 in the movie. <laughs> and, then, but then, and, then, and then after... Yeah, then he ended up... So he's 16 in the fall. Yeah, so he and then... graduated yeah, high school at 16. He graduated high school at 16, apparently. Oh, boy. Okay. That seems right. like a mistake, but I think that's... All right, number two. What relation was Yukie to Kumiko? Not um, her mom, I don't think. Uh, grandma? I'm going to say aunt. I'm going to say aunt. aunt. I would say aunt. Yeah, also. okay. Aunt. Number three. How old was Mr. Miyagi when he left Okinawa? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Not good with numbers. Uh, yeah. Really just embarrass us at the end of this thing. Just <laughs> drag, us, drag us to the left. Yes. Listen, uh, we're not encyclopedias like Rihanna. Uh, well, I don't actually, know you and I did the math on this at one point when he left Okinawa because of the, uh, the thing with uh, with Sato. Um, oh, well, but if we look at if we look at our... our yeah, our, the, the, our the, timeline. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say uh, uh, 18. Okay. Uh, Credit Kid 3, what is the name of Terry Silver's company? Dynatox Industries. Industries. Yes. Number two, what is the name of Terry Silver's secretary? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Uh, uh, God, I wish your brother were here. He yeah, would know this. There's yeah. no question. Um, That's a great question. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. We, don't, we don't know. Okay. Uh, well, well, Heather. No, <laughs> no, no, that's not right. No, no, no. Hold on. It's definitely not Heather. Oh, uh, no. Rita... Uh, uh, I want to say Margaret. Okay. okay. Number three. What title was Daniel given after uh, beating Mike Barnes? Uh, it, after beating Mike Barnes, it's it's uh, defending. No, he had the, the was Mike Barnes uh, advanced to to fight the defending champion, and then became the. Um, he was a, there was something else. It wasn't just the All Valley champion. Um, it's embarrassing. Should we? The, the good guy. Of should we stop making the show? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I, we should just hand over the reins now. Just uh, the the All Valley King. Let's okay, go. that doesn't sound All right. Valley Champion. All right. So Cobra Kai. Uh, what's the title of the magazines Bert was buying when he ran into Johnny at the strip mall? It was like big, big and beautiful, big and beautiful, big, big and beautiful, big booty, um, big and beautiful. Sure, that's All right. right. There's another one. I don't remember what the other yeah. one is. Two, what apartment does Miguel live in at Reseda Heights? 109. No, he lives in... Uh, Johnny lives they in... Reference, he references... I think there's a mistake. Oh, we got it wrong? No, I think we. I think in the dialogue, I think... Oh, he, he says, says 109. 109. Uh, but in reality, it's one. Okay. Yeah. What is Eli's name on his fake ID? Uh, uh, Haw- uh, Walter, Walter Hawkman. Hawk- Walter, Hawk- Walter Hawkman. Yeah. All right. So that's all of it. Tom, did you tell you all that? I uh, did, and I am actually genuinely impressed, gentlemen. Uh, you kicked a lot of ass when it came to uh, Karate Kid 2. Uh, let's see. Daniel was 16. Uh, Yuki was... Uh, I'm sorry, Yuki... Uh, Yuki was, uh, was Komiko's aunt. Uh, Miyagi was 18. Uh, as far as which ones you got wrong, uh, Mr. Miyagi met his wife while she was, uh, cutting cane, uh, in Hawaii. Hmm. Uh, for, right? Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Fernandez's apartment was, uh, 17. Hmm. Huh. Uh, let's see. You guys really didn't get a lot wrong. Uh, was the it title Dutch's helmet? Dutch's helmet falls off, right? Yes. Dutch, yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Daniel was given the title of Grand Champion after he defeated Grand Mike Champion. Barnes. All right. Yeah. Uh, and 
beyond that, I mean, you kind of stumbled on the Big and Bootylicious magazine, but <laughs> I say that's close enough. So, what about Terry Silver's uh, oh, yeah. assistant? Terry you Silver's got it right. That was Margaret. That was Margaret. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that wow, that was good. I was impressed. I was very impressed, gentlemen. Yes. Well, we yeah, that's did with we no did research. You know? Yeah, I feel better about myself here. I didn't. I felt like you know I'm surprised we're getting like a B plus here. Yeah, I'm sure Rick Grossman is like, uh, oh, I could have killed them, but. Um... <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, thank you guys for being uh, great sports and, and doing that with us. Uh, do you guys have any one last message, uh, message to our listeners and other Cobra Kai fans? Uh, yeah, uh, we just want to say thank you for being fans and being uh, awesome fans at that. We love going on the Facebook groups, the, you know, scouring the Internet for people's reactions. And the more um you know fun posts and thoughts and opinions that are out there the the more gratifying it is for us so you know keep up the fandom and we'll keep up the uh the storytelling yeah thank you for you know just every all the passion that you guys have you guys we're we're one and the same we are we are passionate fans of the karate kid universe we are very thankful and fortunate that we get to do what we do and we love the the passion on the other side, and uh, and it's a great relationship. Thank you. Yeah, we love making this show, and uh, a large part of that is the the fan reaction to it. It's uh, this is a dream for all of us, and we're just making the show that we would want to watch, and uh, we're thankful that a lot of people want to watch what we wanted to watch, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to do this for a long time. And that, unfortunately conclude our conversation <laughs> you know i i kind of wish that we were doing like some kind of uh like uh way of doing this where we could actually see each other's reactions because when he flat out called me out for my hatred of spoilers <laughs> not only did that tell me that he listens to the show but he knows exactly who i am and, it, and it's it, it's funny because i kind of feel like the silent partner in this uh, you you do all the work. You get you're, you're kind of the face of the operation, and rightfully so. But to know that one of the, the big three know who I am, that's just wow, wow. Well, well uh, Tom, I mean, it, it's either you or you or you're Paul McCartney. You know, for anybody that's on Facebook, <laughs> we'll get that reference. Brillington, thank you very much. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was really awesome. And to kind of piggyback on what you just said there. Like one of uh, John's, you know, Q and A's, when I asked that that question, that you know, a loaded question that could have been spoiled, you know, John referenced like uh, now, you know, he doesn't get into spoilers and you know, mentioned my name uh, again. That kind of clued in, like, okay, they they listen to the show. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me, you know, as they were kind of closing up the the interview, I think it was either John or Josh that said it, but. Someone said that, you know, they enjoy creating something that, that they love, that they want to share. And I have echoed that very similar expression about our podcast. You know, the way we go mm-hmm. about producing our episodes, you know, I produce and edit in a way that I want to hear. And and I feel like it's kind of important to kind of be fans of your own content because if you like it, others will too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to listen to it, why would you ever expect anybody else to? Exactly. 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 So when he said that, I, I felt a little like uh, I, I felt a little like kind of a, a kinship almost that. But then I, I felt a little less, you know, like, OK, so if somebody else feels that way, then I don't feel so bad feeling that way myself, you know, to call myself mm-hmm. like a, a fan of my own show, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there was one point that there was one question that I didn't get a chance to ask because you know time. But uh, I I wanted to say I often find us uh, find it, that I embarrass myself over and over about like the comments I make or things that I miss, uh, claiming to be like a really big fan. I I kind of wanted to see like how like in their minds do they just sit there and laugh? Do they be like I just want to correct them real quick, you know, and, and not me personally, but just like anybody that they're reading yeah, out there, yeah. you know. Uh, because personally, for me, I see something and, you know, depending on who the person is, if I don't know them, I don't care to correct them. But if it's somebody, I might be like, oh, hey, actually, you know what? It's it's this, you know, so I, I kind of want to hear it from uh, hear their brain uh, a little bit to kind of see what they think. Absolutely. I mean, 
Uh, it, it, I, I don't know. Just I, I maintain that this is uh, some of the most approachable people in show business that uh, I've ever been lucky enough to encounter. I, I can't get over just the fact that they remember what it's like to be fans. And so that explains why why they do what they do with fans because, you know, they're awesome that way. <laughs> so I'm not great in mathematics and I don't pretend to be, but would you say they are Mr. Approachables cubed? Is that, is that right? There's three or so cubed. I, don't, I, don't I believe, I, I believe they are approachable cubed. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, there, there we go. Um, they are, they are the approachable triumphant. Okay. You might've lost me there. You might've lost me there. <laughs> um, just, yeah. It, it, uh, amazing interview. Uh, a lot of great nuggets and, you know, Tom, you and I, we enjoy like behind the scenes stuff, and I hope the listeners enjoyed this as well. Um, if anybody was wondering why we didn't ask about like, you know, them creating the show and stuff, there are many podcasts and interviews that they have uh, have done where they have answered those very similar questions. And we try to ask them things that maybe they haven't been asked before or at least in another way. Well, not only that, but I mean, it, anytime I'm lucky enough to actually sit down with anybody that agrees to give me an hour of their time, I try to use that time to get to know who they are as opposed to just what they work on. Yeah. You know, to me, I think that's just way more interesting. Yeah. And and they are very much that. They are very mm-hmm. interesting. And uh, I'm sure that we can pick their brains, uh, you know, all night, really. Uh, just so many questions, and you know the the little game that we played at the end. Um, Brianna was kind enough to give us like seven questions for each of those you know movies. So we we had twenty again. I'm not good at math, so what's that? Twenty eight. Uh, twenty eight. <laughs> so we had a total of twenty eight questions, and we kept it down to twelve. So I think that was some pretty good restraint on our part. But um, I loved hearing their, you know, them kind of like uh, verbalizing their answers. Well, not only that, but I, I was really impressed with the, the ratio of uh, right to wrong. I was really impressed. Did, did you have a count? Uh, I, don't, I don't think you counted, but you did say that you know, they did get more right. All right, so they got nine right and three wrong. Hey, that's pretty damn good. That's really good for having us pop that on them uh, unprepared. Yeah. That's really that's really good. Very impressive. Very impressive. And it's funny because I think they were being their own worst critic too. And I'm like, I, it sounded like you guys were actually doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's stuff that I wouldn't have known. Yeah. All right. So, well, not only that, but the fact that, you know, when they were uh, going with Miguel's number, the apartment number, they knew that he said 109, but they messed up in production and only had the one in the door. I thought that was pretty dang cool. Yeah, yeah. It was right there in the answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, again, we hope you guys enjoyed it because we had so much fun talking to them. Yes. Uh, thank you, Brianna, for the questions. And, uh, Peter, if I may take a little bit of time out, I want to thank my wife. Uh, Peter knows this, uh, but I don't think we mentioned it at all during the interview. If you hear any kind of echo in my voice or hear any odd background noise, it's because I'm actually recording this in a hotel room in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm actually in the middle of uh, a little road trip with the wife, and she understood that, you know, this is an important interview, and uh, she's been indulgent in the past when it comes to my hobby, but she went above and beyond tonight. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you, girl. Oh, yeah. But, uh, me too. Me too. I, I just I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I'll say me too. Um, <laughs> So uh, who else do we like to thank? We want to thank you guys, the listeners. Yes, this would not happen without you guys. Absolutely. I mean, they they mentioned group. You know, we, we have an amazing group, and um, I, I don't want to single out ours because there are other groups as well, but uh, everyone's support. We are, you know, constantly finding new people that are listening to the show that just enjoy our stuff, and they're sharing our stuff out there, and... Um, we, we appreciate it. You know, we definitely feel what the big three feel when they see, you know, all the positivity that people have about their show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, we had that, uh, Q and a episode drop and to get the feedback from that was beyond mind blowing. So thank you people everywhere. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's going to do it. If you guys have a couple of minutes, please consider leaving uh, a review for us on Apple Podcast. That would really help us out. Uh, Tom, if people want to check us out, 
or check you out rather uh, on uh, you know what, what you do. Where can they find your show? Well, you can find uh, my show. It's called Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Anywhere that you uh, go to find your favorite podcasts, be it iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. If you have a podcast searcher, chances are if you take uh, the words Jake and Tom, throw it in there, we'll pop up. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me online, Twitter is going to be the easiest place. You can find me at The Drunken Dork or on Facebook. You can find me at the uh, group page for the show. It's called Jake and Tom Conquer the Group. Uh, and any of you you want to maybe DM me, maybe we can uh, sweeten the pot to get uh, some characters named uh, Peter and Tom on Season 3, uh, let me know. You know. Maybe we can raise this up to 75 bucks. You know, I, I think you still should have offered to Flasher Bits. I think that would have sweetened it just fine. No, no, no. I want to have this turn out in my favor, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, I host a movie review podcast called Podstalgic, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Podstalgic. Uh, I review some new releases here and there as well. But Cobra Kai Companion, we have an amazing group with amazing people in there. You just go to Facebook, search www period, Cobra Kai, period, TV, A and B group, and you spell out the words period. Send a request and we'll let you in. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can just find us at Cobra Kai Pod and on Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast. Thank you guys for checking out this episode and we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.